Hey guys, welcome back to episode number 39 of Connection is Magic. Thank you so much for coming back. This week's episode is a really special one with Jason Bernstein. We are both in the Master's in Clinical Psychology program at Antioch University. We get into his personal journey with addiction, his low points, and his breakthrough and what he learned in that journey. We also get into society's limited view on mental health and mental illness, unfortunately. It's come a long way, still has a long way to go, so we touch on some of that. I'm excited to have you guys check this one out. Welcome, everybody, to Connection is Magic. I'm your host, Samson Shulman, a former music executive turned podcaster and coach. In a world obsessed with the highlight reel and keeping our difficulties hidden behind the curtain, we end up feeling lonely and isolated, and opportunities for human connection are missed. On this podcast, we dive deep with our guests and get them to share those dreaded, unfiltered pieces. We learn how to make lemonade out of life's lemons and realize adversity isn't sent to break us, but rather shape us into the greatest versions of ourselves. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Now let's begin our journey back home to connection. All right, welcome everybody to a very special episode number 39 with my man Jason Bernstein and... Happy to be here, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you for blessing the mic. Yeah, for sure. I'm here. And we're uh, in school together. Yes, we are. Getting our master's degrees in clinical psychology. So I feel like the bar is automatically set higher on this one. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I wouldn't say that, bro. They're expecting us to deliver, bro. Yeah, like we're, well, we're taking all these classes, Jason. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But we're on this journey, right? And it's just another journey of life. You know, we're here. That's right. I like how you put the bar back down. <laughs> I'm trying to like, like, you know, bring like, us no. back to earth, bro. You yeah. Know? No, we don't need to put the pressure on, on, yeah. on this one. Okay. Uh, but hopefully we'll get into some cool shit. So yeah, I think we will. Yeah. So um, real quick. So before you jumped into this master's program in clinical psychology, like what what life path were you on? Bro, I was on a path of destruction. In all honesty, I mean, until. All right. So like two and a half years, I got sober. But before there, bro, it was like a downhill spiral, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I mean, it's just uh, life's a trip. The drugs and alcohol are completely taking my life, mainly drugs. And I'm a junkie. You know, I'm a heroin addict that uh, I'm fortunate to be sitting here talking to you. I mean, I said blessed to have you here, but it really (laughs) it really is a blessing to have you here because you. In all accounts, like, you could very well easily not be here right now, right? Very easily. And, you know, and like, I'm, I'm like the, uh, first of all, it took me a long time to be comfortable with saying, like, I'm a fucking heroin addict or I'm a junkie, you know, mm-hmm. just in the sense. It's like so much, like. Outside of the 12-step rooms? Yeah, I mean, even just around in my social circles, my, like, my childhood friends and stuff, you know, like, to admit that, like, I had a problem and that I had gone down this path. There's so much shame and guilt and you know, just overall like prejudice against what that stick, what that label means. Right. And, uh, so I think that kept me in my diseases for as long as it did, but I mean, I'm, I'm a dangerous type of drug addict because like, I'm the type of drug addict that will have an apartment that will have a, have a car, will have a, a good job, but will be behind closed doors killing myself. And those are the type of people that I feel, you know, that, that I'm not, I'm not like stranded on the street. I'm not homeless. I'm not this and that, but I'm the type of person that will die behind closed doors and people will come in and be shocked that they find me with all the, all that in my system, you know? So I say it all the time, man, I'm, I'm fortunate to be and grateful to be alive and just to be like, to be able to do anything that life has for me today. So like, you know, before this journey of starting this clinical psychology program, I was 
trying to find myself again, you know, and, uh, I got a question on this. Yeah, please go ahead. Did it start out as fun? Like uh, a lot of addictions can start out as just fun. Yeah, bro. I had a, I had a great time. <laughs> Are you kidding? Like, yeah. uh, traveling the country, going to concerts, you know, it wasn't always opiates and, you know, I was drinking and then the party drugs and social fun and, you know, getting fucked up with friends yeah. and you know, so forth yeah. and so on. And, uh, then it kind of just took a downhill turn where like substances took over my personality, changed who I was, and I pushed all those people away. And then, you know, it's a typical addict story where all of a sudden you're alone and, you know. I know the addict story. Yeah, you know, um, that's the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty much the same story, more or less, with mm. like a few varying degrees, right? Absolutely. But the onset of like when you started to like get out of control with it. Talk to us about that. Like the first time you were like, you did more than you thought you were going to do or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, like I, like we were just talking about a second ago, I went to the University of Delaware. I played uh, D1 golf on scholarship. And like probably the first time I noticed it was like something that I had an issue with or that I was a little bit out of control was like the failing of drug tests and suspensions as associated with playing, losing my scholarship. Golf. Yeah, playing golf at Delaware. You know, like I'm from the East Coast. I'm from Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, so I went to school and then like, you know, like my junior and senior year, I started seeing these like missteps of behavior and like morals that like were so out of character for me. You know, when I'm sober, I'm like humble, I'm loving, I'm honest, I'm caring, I'm there for people that love me. And all of a sudden I'm turning this person like, I don't care if I'm suspended. I don't want, I don't need my scholarship. You know, like, like wow. so I just like noticed like, like almost like chemical imbalances in my head that weren't there before, mm. you know, it's all started with like a really bad breakup um, with like a girl that I always thought I was on a path to marry and involved like one of my really good friends from home and them two getting together. And like, I was crushed and like, that's that, heavy. Um, and then I remember this one time, uh, this must have been my senior year of college, I had a friend drive up because he was worried about me or drive down to school and he showed up and I was just like a mess, like all sorts of messed up. And he like, I remember him looking at me. On all types of drugs, all, basically. Yeah, drinking. I mean, I was at that point, I was just like trying to do anything I could to like numb the way that I was feeling. And he, I remember he walked in and he was like, bro, are you okay? And I just remember being like no <laughs> you know <laughs> no, like no dude. i am not okay you know and you know that was like the start and like even though like there was like almost maybe like a moment of realization with him looking this is like one of my best friends from childhood um it still didn't deter me on the path that i went on for the next 10 years you know dealing with like these internal demons that we're learning about in school right yeah. that like i had not come to terms with didn't have the tools to live like without what I thought was the only thing I needed, maybe a girl or, you know, there was nothing that I could suffice the hole that I had inside, sure. you know, uh, yeah. like I said, it was like accumulation of moments. And then it was like the failing of drug tests, like the not completing my undergrad, which I completed two years ago when I got sober, you know, like so many things mm -hmm. I just <laughs> stealing money from like my grandmother or my parents, like when I didn't actually need it because I had the money, but like at the, in the, in the moment I didn't, you know, it's like, I didn't have it on me or I couldn't get to the bank. I would just rather steal to get what I need, you know, like just, mm -hmm. just like moral character deficits that were just like not apparent. You and know? it's not who you really are. Not at all. And that's just like, that's, that's, the, that's drug addiction, right? It's like, yeah. it's like the all encompassing of your soul. It takes your soul, changes changes your personality and changes well your said, motives man. You know? damn i haven't heard yeah. a point like that before me sitting here rambling about like the bad times but like without those bad times i wouldn't be the man i am today because i'm lucky to make it through and then today i have a new lens on life exactly like, uh, i have a new lens on the things that i thought i knew everything about when in actuality i didn't know shit
it's the nature of the beast, man. Not all of us make it. Like last year, I lost five friends to overdoses in Philadelphia. Five friends that I went to high school with passed away. You guys were really you know? close? I mean, like three of them like, were my mm -hmm. homies. We used to get wow. like, you know, we used to like drink together, or have fun together. And, oh, you know, yeah, it's just super painful. Yeah. Um, so that, again, sort of accentuates like the, the, the gratitude, you know what I mean? That you're, yeah. that you're here. So with a drug like heroin, I just know from my days of partying and, you know, high school and early college and things like this, there, you know, that was like the drug we're told to stay away from. I feel like it's like, <laughs> no. okay, you could do, you know, shrooms and the weed and the, yeah, yeah, and yeah. the drinks and all that. But like, you know, I'd say by and large people held that view of like, all right, I'm not going through that door. That yeah. heroin door is a door I'm not going through. So I want to know were yeah, you once bro. that way. A hundred percent. Like okay. I always said, like when I was, you know, I was, I was like, I'm, a, I'm a, like, dude, I'm a white kid from the suburbs of Philadelphia. Yeah. Like I come from an upper middle class family, had no business doing the things that I was doing, yeah. you know, like so out of place, so out of character. But yeah, I mean, I grew up, I was like, no way I'll ever touch it. Like my best friend's sister who's actually like sober now and has her life together, but like struggled with heroin addiction for years. Like when we were probably, I don't know, 13 to like 17, mm -hmm. we like, we found her like dead and like bring her back to life, you know? Wow. So like, I was just like, heroin will never be something that I'll touch. Hell, like, yeah, like you said, that door will never be a door I will even touch. <laughs> yeah. The doorknob, I'll never open it, right? And got like hooked on pills and then like the pills started drying up, started being more expensive. And like, well, once you're already physically dependent in, in something, then it's just like, oh, well, like I feel sick. So I'm going to do whatever I have to, wow. to feel normal. And then it's just, that door seems like it's already open for you. You know, it's you don't even have to push it. It's just like it's open and it's there and it's for free. And it's just like, like, it's like the best way it's, I can describe it, it's like, like you're walking up, to, like you're starving, right? And you're walking up to the kitchen pantry and you see a lock on it, right? And then all of a sudden you walk up and the lock just breaks off, the doors open, the lights come down on all the food, and you know that it's right there for you, right? And it's free, and this is like, it's just, it's gonna make you feel better. It's just like so funny, like I don't, I don't remember any ecstasy or any euphoria from heroin at all. Like the best, like the, the best times are from like the pills and when I had fun, but by the time I got into heroin, I was so miserable, so broken, so like just not myself. It's crazy that I don't remember like any good times from it, like not a single one. You does, know? does that heroin chapter feel like a blur, you know, in yeah, some sense? A blur, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, not to mention like all the other things that I was putting into my system. I mean, yeah. it seemed like I went to bed at 20 and woke up at 30. That's like, that's literally what kind of felt like my addiction was like, went to sleep. Woke up 30 in rehab, and I was just like, what the, where did my 20s go? What's uh, probably more relatable than drug addiction to people is breakups. I feel like, you know, everybody's been through a breakup, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those, those things can be pretty painful, too, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as the same principle holds true, like, you, you know, going through it is just a miserable experience, right? Mm -hmm. But sure enough, man, you know, I've been through maybe seven big ones or six big ones or something. It just never fails that on the other side you you have this deeper appreciation and you grow as a person definitely absolutely and absolutely and that's you know all the experiences that i had that were you know maybe associated with drugs or whatever or even independent of drugs during that time made me who i am today not to get like 12 steppy but like that this like spiritual essence of spirituality to me is not about like god or religion it's about like living right and yeah. like living in gratitude for what 
you have what you had before and what you and not be worried about what you don't have right and like that's what everybody needs that message yeah, dude. you know everybody needs that message not addicts included where was your family at during your like darkest days because what's interesting is we can have people that like care about us like you mentioned your friend coming mm-hmm. to bro are you good mm-hmm. and it's almost like it just bounces off of us mm-hmm. unless we're ready. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, my family was always there. Um, I think they kind of, so like my mom's an alcoholic um, that struggled for years, like up and down. And she's actually doing the best she's done in years, uh, like currently That's and awesome. has been for the last like seven months. But like, I think, you know, like me being able to deflect the spotlight off of myself was one of my greatest talents, you know, like, mm-hmm. so they knew something was up. They just had no idea the extent. And like I said, I'm the type of person that like has a good job, has my own apartment. So like I'm kind of detached from them, but like attached enough where that if I need them, they're there. You know, they didn't know enough for them to like really. I ne- I wasn't a needle user, so I never really had a lot of ODs. Oh, and didn't and didn't end up how in do, the hospital. How do people take heroin without using uh, needles? So or it's, pills, so or no, it? on the East Coast, it's all powder. What? It's powder. It's not. I've never smart heroin. Yeah, I've never seen tar. I don't even. I've never even like. Dude, I, here I am. I'm thinking the needle no, in the arm. No, I snorted everything. I just didn't let them see like the darkest side of me. I tried to like. They really to, didn't know how bad it got. No, they had no idea. Like when Damn. I told when I told them, I was like, "Look, I'm going like, like when I." What happened was I ended up getting like another little arrest, right? And like, you know, went to my lawyer that had dealt with me, that I dealt with in the past. And like, I don't have like a lengthy rap sheet of law, like legal stuff, but. Um, he was like, look, the legal stuff is no big deal, but bro, if you're, it was like a simple possession. And he's like, if you're actually using these things, like you're going to die. I'm worried Mm. about you. And for whatever reason that gave me the strength to go to my parents and be like, look, I am going to rehab tomorrow. Like I am using heroin. My mom was like, you're using heroin. Like they had no idea, you know? So they had that needle image too, by the way. I'm sure they did. I'm sure (laughs) they did. That's not a typical rock bottom. What you said on simple possession. But was that rock bottom for you? Definitely, definitely. And it was like more looking, it was more me looking for a way out. Like I said, I didn't have much enjoyment in my past couple of years. Now this is your opportunity to get some help and you should take it. That's another blessing, bro, because people's rock bottoms are... I know. Oh my God, man. You've seen them, right? I've seen them. I mean, that's not... I've seen them, man. And it's like, you know, like, like, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this, just like, you know, just where it could have taken me right yeah. and where it didn't end up taking me but while i was on my i was on the way too is you know homelessness hospital you know they say jails institutions are death in the 12 steps you know yeah. like that's where i was gonna go yeah and there's like, no doubt i had a moment of clarity where i was like this is my opportunity i gotta mm. take it and i took it and the rest is history beautiful were you filling a void i feel like you know for me in the past when i got involved in addiction i was feeling a filling a void uh-huh uh, for you not so much right I mean, like, yes and no. Like, I had nothing like, nothing, not, nothing like a tangible where I could, like, label it. It was just kind of, like, getting lost. And it's just, like, just, like, it's, like, I don't know why, well, but, like, Billy Madison's coming into my head, like, the puppy that loses his way. <laughs> it's just, so like, funny. it's, like, I lost my, I lost myself. I just, like, completely lost my sense of identity. But, it, like, but genetics are a real thing, too. And you just yeah. mentioned your mom struggle with alcohol addiction. So mm-hmm. I think genetics could be a play here then too. And we're learning I, about this in school, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she, I mean, it's funny I'm just like my mom, personality, demeanor, temperament, like everything. And she warned me, she's like, you're just like me. You got to mm-hmm. be careful. And mm-hmm. you know, I disregarded her and so forth. She was and, right. And she, was, <laughs> she was right on point. Right. And the reason I brought that up is because one of our professors that we just had in our trauma class, 
um, is close with Gabor Mate, who's like mm-hmm. a renowned addictions um, mm-hmm. PhD. Yeah. He was saying that his one famous saying is, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that was huge for me yeah, to get out from under my addiction because it's weird. When I, when I started to dig and dig and work on the pain, the need for the addiction kind of mm-hmm. lifted too. Does that yeah. make sense? No, definitely. So that's why I asked. I couldn't handle highs. I couldn't handle lows. I just wanted to live in that like dull little numb medium where I didn't have to feel. That makes sense. You know, so sense. it wasn't like a specific void or specific pain. It was just like a generalized like pain that I was in because I couldn't experience life as life was coming at me. I love Gabor though. I love Gabor. Yeah, Mata. Gabor's the shit. Yeah, he um, is. Is there a moment you remember early in your recovery where you're like, oh shit, like the light's coming back, like where, you know. Yeah, of course. Talk to us about that. So I remember like, uh, so like my detox was gnarly. It was like six weeks long, shaking, you know, sick, so forth. And I remember that first morning when I woke up and I was like, oh I feel okay, you know, like, and I was like, it was like so foreign that like Mm. I could wake up in the morning and feel okay because it was like, I'm not even kidding, eight years where you wake up in the morning and you're sick or you're filled with anxiety, you're filled with fear, you know, like all these different. That's a physiological thing. Yeah, definitely. Physiologically Mm. and and like, and and mentally, you know, and psychologically because like, you know, you're, you're, um, you're, uh, once you're awake, you're sick, you're physically sick and you're, you're psychologically activated Mm. where you're just like, where am I going to go next? So I remember that first morning I woke up and I was okay and I remember I grabbed a cup of coffee and I went outside and I was like wow and I I was like I can enjoy a cup of coffee and smoke a cigarette without like rushing or feeling thinking about how bad I feel um and that was kind of like I was just like damn okay maybe I can do this you know like maybe I can do this you know it's like it's like for six weeks beautiful moment man that's uh, a really really beautiful moment yeah as you're sharing that I feel like it's like when you're in active addiction it almost feels like the cops are chasing you at all times definitely you got no peace yeah that's a great way I could like breathe you know and I was just like okay maybe I don't know anything about like living sober or like where my life's going to go from here. But like, I know like right now Mm. in this moment, I'm okay. And it's the first time I've been okay in a long time. At first, were you like, fuck, like, were you hard on yourself being like, I I blew so many years. Like you said, I went to bed at 20, woke up at 30. Mm -hmm. Now you're cool with that. And you understand the good parts of why that happened and what that means for you today. Right. Mm-hmm. But at first was there some regret or anything you had to work through? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, bro. Uh, immense amounts of regret and shame and guilt. Like, and it was funny. I remember going into like the, uh, the LMFT that was, I was working with, um, and being like, like sitting down and just like breaking down and being like, I need to, I need to amend all my relationships with all my closest friends. I need to make up for all the lost time I had with my mom. I got to tell my best friend, I'm sorry for missing his crap. Like, you know, this, that, this, that. And you know, she's like, you just need to chill. <laughs> like you need to take a, you need to take a breath, <laughs> That's you, great. you know, she's like, she's like, you need to like baby steps. And I'm like, I, don't, I can't do baby steps. I need to, I need to, <laughs> I need to make, great. I need to make all this right. You know? So like, that was just like my, like these flooding of emotions of the wanted things to that, make up for that time everything I want, yeah, and i yeah, wanted to do yeah. it right i wanted to leave the fucking facility and i wanted to do it right now That's you know so um but yeah man i like you know and and to say that i still don't have some in me would be a lie you know like like i i let some of the people that 
are the closest to me down for many years. Mm. And I wasn't there for them for so many different big time life moments. What was like the toughest amends? I think that might be interesting to talk about. You said you're an open book, so. Yeah. yeah. One of the toughest amends was, uh, was it's funny, I, I just talked to the dude recently, but I made amends a couple of years ago. But it was the guy that helped recruit me to Delaware, mm-hmm. um, who ended up being one of my best friends in college. And we both got bad together while we were in school in terms of like drug use. Mm-hmm. And we just... We were like, like oil and water, like at, by the end where we just like clashed and like we got into like fist fights and completely dismantled the relationship that we had built. Um, our families ended up being close and then that got, that got broken off, you know? So it was just like this big mess between like two people that just got lost. And so that was a really great amends when I went to him and I was like, look, man, I'm, I'm better, uh, or I'm doing better. And I just want to like break down everything that like I did wrong. And there's so much. And if there's anything I can do, I can make it up to you. And he was like, bro, I'm still struggling. And this was eight years after the fact. And like, now he is, he's doing better. He's engaged. And like, I don't know if I I hate, I'm not going to take any credit for that, but I mean, who knows? So that was a big one. People that you have met and become friends with who are also turning their lives around, Mm -hmm. you know, um, from addiction is it hard to watch them sort of gain ground and then go backwards like you know this like you know one step forward two steps backward thing like i'm sure you see that all day long yeah yeah yeah. how do you deal with that emotionally and is it hard on you because you you start to care for these people i mean it's hard right but it's like this is what i want to do this is why i'm in the school that's why i'm on the path that i'm on with you and at antioch um compassion and empathy you know just like you know when people come back after a slip and they're like they're like down on themselves it's just like bro like i just i just like always instilled them i was like yo i've been there i was Mm. there i'm not there anymore and you just like you just treat it with like compassion and i'm sure this is like what our teachers would tell us too and like in the therapeutic room it's just greeting anything with just compassion and empathy and if you can if you can self-disclose a little tidbit of your experience that might help them get out of their current mindset Mm. that's what i try to do i mean honestly it's like it definitely gets to me in the end especially when it's like people that are really close to me because i don't want to see people die yeah i've seen people die (laughs) you know it's like i've seen i've talked to people the night before i'm woken up the next morning and they're not there anymore you know so it's uh it's scary man it's just like the nature of like the current day though it's just like nothing is guaranteed especially with drugs and how do you think the pandemic has inflamed that do you think oh tenfold tenfold i mean you heard wendy say like you know when you know what this pandemic means for us like mental health clinicians job security (laughs) you know she said that over and over again it means job security right and it's it's because like this is not easy for anyone. People are out of work, and I give so much credit to people that are trying to get sober through this thing because they're on these Zoom meetings because everything's yeah. on Zoom, right? So and it loses um, a little something. You, you definitely, gotta admit, there's no yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. interpersonal contact, yeah. you know, and it's like they're they're at the end when they when they close their computer screen, they're all of a sudden they're they're by themselves again. Hundred percent everything you said, but the they say the opposite of addiction is mm-hmm. not sobriety; it's connection. Hence, connection. Mm-hmm. connection is magic. Yeah, I love but, it. Like, thanks, I dude. love it. And, and the screen don't quite cut it like it, you know, Definitely. It's, it's better than nothing. Definitely better than nothing. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I really feel like, man, this is, you're right, man. Anybody that is getting into sort of square one of recovery right now deserves a freaking medal. The pain is all the same, right? If it's mm-hmm. internal pain and, and, and if, if it's, whether it's from a foreign substance or a relationship, all the pain's the same and yeah. it is possible to move forward. And yeah. it's just like. I didn't see that possibility for so many years. I didn't think there was any way that 
the route that I had gone, it was going to, I was going to be able to take a U-turn and go back, you know, mm-hmm. but there's always a way back. And, you know, it's like, whether it's talking to someone or. Yeah. You're rock bottom, dude. I was expecting yeah, some crazier nah. shit. Like, yo, it took like eight cops to hold yeah. me down. It was honestly just like, one cop, like, with the, like in handcuffs. Simple possession. Yeah. Like, not, even your lawyers, like, yeah. hey, this, this ain't a big deal. Thank God that was enough to do the trick, I guess. Yeah. Right? No, know? I mean, yeah. thank God is right. And, uh. Yeah, so, it's crazy. It's just, it's a crazy, it's a wild ride. Life's, yeah. life's wild, bro. So, yeah, totally. Are you in touch with this this level of gratitude fairly often, honestly, or does this grat- this level of gratitude come and go, honestly? So, honestly, for me, yeah. I'm, like, lucky where, like, gratitude's pretty easy. Um, for whatever reason, like, I'm I'm able to be like, look, like, it's a blessing to be here. <laughs> like, uh, day to day, you're day to day, I'm pretty good. That. And That's it's great. funny, like my girlfriend who I met in recovery and we've been together actually two years yesterday, Congratulations, dude. but she's sober as well. And like, she was like, are, have you always been like this? Like, have you always been like relaxed and cool? Or is this like, are you like an LA kid now? And I'm like, first of all, definitely Don't not. You ever <laughs> <say that. laughs> first of all, back up, you know? Um, but no, it's like, I don't know if it's like, if it's just like my demeanor or the way that I was raised and whatever it is, like, yes, I always have been kind of calm and like able to see life from, maybe it's that you've seen the worst days though. Yeah. And so, but I know I mean, a lot I, of people that were worse than me that aren't able to live in the oh. gratitude that I live in today. You know, like, I don't know what it is. And mm. it's just, uh, it's a, like I said, it's a blessing to be able to like, dude, I never thought I'd be able to go back to school or like move across the country or have st- stability in my relationships yeah. again. Like all these things I didn't think was going to be possible. And it is today. So this decision though, to, to do this program that we're in together, like, uh, talk us through that. Like, when did you decide, okay, cool. I'm going to go get my master's in clinical psychology. Like, I mean, it, it was a recovery based thing. Like what's the best route for me to be able to do this so, professionally? So uh, that's when I found kind of maybe down the psychology route and therapist, psychologist. I don't know where my journey is going to take me, but that was kind of like it was recovery based. I had to finish my undergrad before I can enter into this program. So I actually had like a precursor. You didn't finish your undergrad? No, I oh, never because- finished it. So I had 20. When I moved out to L.A. and got sober, I had 18 credits left. Damn. So I finished that in my first year of recovery, in my first year being sober. So I had like a little bit of an introduction to what school is going to be it. like. What's been one of your most memorable like classes or one of the things that you've learned so far now you're like a few semesters into the master's program, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The program that we're in and the cultural diversity aspect of it and just like the so many different layers of what mental illness is, mm-hmm. right? And then... And then this, the great hope of being able to treat all these, you know, mental illness, that there is hope. And, um, and that, you know, if that comes from me or it comes from a colleague like you, you know, there always is someone that can help someone mm. and it might be incremental or might not be, or it might be like, you know, or, you know, magnificent and big and someone might be healed, but mental illness is treatable. Like mm. you can treat it. The stigma behind diagnosis is, is a false conception you know it's Mm -hmm. like in one of my classes this quarter you know she was just like how can you treat someone if you don't tell them what you're diagnosing them with and Mm -hmm. like that kind of like really stuck with me because Mm -hmm. there's so much I know for me whenever I've been to a psychiatrist or a therapist I was never told 
what they thought was wrong with me. It was just like, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to teach you some breathing exercises. I'm going to write you this prescription for this medication. I never really understood what therapy was or what mental health treatment was about. This program really opened my eyes about like what it is. And it's, it's interesting though, that people have these titles and it's just like anything, man. I guess there's good and bad and anything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, um, absolutely, absolutely. See, like mental health is uh, especially in terms of like community and uh, people that like can't afford like privatized like mental health care. Uh, the quality of care tends to be like either unavailable or subpar. Yeah, and, there you like, go. It's just. Uh, I mean, just keep it real with me, man. No, it's it's just sad because they're yeah. the people that need it need it the most, like Absolute the homeless population out here, like absolutely. that. You know, you were talking about earlier. You know, it's sad because people like you know people that are homeless and are and are like you know down on their luck. Yeah. Like a lot of times they're the sickest and like no, you know and, and they're. They're, and that's the problem. They're sick. They're not bad people. They're not like born to be who they are. You know, they're just sick and they need treatment. If you could say something succinctly out there, because we don't know who, I mean, the odds are somebody tuning in might be struggling with an addiction of some mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. I think like you said, the pandemic is worse than that a bit, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. So if you could say something maybe in a, a sentence or two sentences to somebody that might be listening right now that's struggling with addiction, that's sort of in that sort of contemplation stage, you know about that? Yeah, I know yeah, stages of change. Yeah, 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 yeah stages yeah, yeah. of change. <laughs> yeah, so they're, I know, is it pre-contemplation, then contemplation, yep. right? Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they're somewhere in the midst of that. What would you say to them, man? Do you have anything that you think could resonate for them? <sighs> yeah. Um, the progressive nature of the disease, like no drink or drug is going to make whatever you're going through better. I can, that is like a scientific fact. It's only going to get worse. And whether that's like, you know, a steep hill where it just gets down to the bottom or it takes, it takes a little while, nothing's going to get better. Um, and then the other thing that really helped me is that things do get better once you put the drink or drunk down, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. I didn't believe it. Or the behavior. Or the behavior. Yeah. What the behavior Mm -hmm. or, you know, you try to work on the, the repressed feelings of pain, whether it's, you know, like like we're talking about a breakup, as long as things do get better, if you put in the effort to get better. (laughs) What I hear you saying is just stop putting salt in the wound and the wound will kind of, you'll move towards healing. I, I mean, like I remember when I didn't believe it, like I remember like when I was, there was like my second or third day in rehab and I had this guy telling me like every day, like things are going to get better. Things get better. And I wanted to hit the guy in the fucking face. I wanted to be like, bro, get out of my room. You know, like I just didn't want to listen to it. And damn it. There's East Coast Jason. I was like, I wanted to like knock this guy out, but like he was, I mean, it gets better and it is possible. And amen, man. You no, know, it's like kind of no matter far, no, no matter how far down you've gone i mean no. really like you see I mean, people at the bottom bottom right like you, dude you and, know. And, and if and if, if it's not my experience you see it in the limelight you see people yeah. like steven tyler like eminem or whoever you want to like that have years of recovery now mm-hmm. that have like gotten past the worst right and it's mm-hmm. like if they can do it with all the money they have and all the pressure they're under it's true you know we can do it i thought the only thing i needed to feel better was a drink or a drug. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was no way in hell that anything was going to get better. Mm -hmm. You know, if I put them down, it's like changing your perception of reality. And that change is one of the most difficult processes that anyone that's struggling with anything is going to go through is like the waking up and not doing the same thing that you did the day before. What makes it even harder, I think, is society. It's like, we, you know, we already feel bad about ourselves if you're mm-hmm. in active addiction. And then society kind of makes it worse in a way because yeah, yeah. you're 
stigmatized or you're shunned or whatever. And then a lot of people are like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go back to this and numb out and medicate more. Definitely. Am I right? And no, then it becomes yeah. this vicious cycle. And in terms of like the stigmas, like, you know, people are starting to finally recognize both mental health and like, you know, the associated like drug abuse and stuff as an actual disease and an actual illness. Yeah. And something and think, to bring compassion and empathy towards, yeah. which you alluded to earlier. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not so much like the shunning and like the degradation of them as a character as like, as you know, as who they are, but actually like, okay, looking as them as like someone that has cancer, you know, Absolutely. it's like sickness Brilliant. for so long. I was working for the money and solely money. Like, right. Mm-hmm. I was, I wanted the best job that made me the best money and I was miserable when I was killing myself with all that money. You know, I made the most money in my life while in my addiction. Feeling uh, your worst. Feeling my worst. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so like when, I, when I'm going into this field, I want like a certain sense of like gratification at the end of the day that I'm making a difference. Yeah. And like, you know, like there's nothing better than like, you know, working with someone. And I've experienced this a little bit in like working in recovery, uh, in, in the recovery house and seeing people get incrementally better. But like when they say thank you or they're like grateful for the experience that they've had with you, fills you it's an you know? amazing feeling it, it is it's an amazing feeling and yeah I, to me no amount of money can grant that feeling you know i mean for sure the, the, the society we live in today is just the it's money motivated and you capitalist yeah still, you i mean know, it's, yeah. it's like it's like you, money can buy you happiness if you have enough of it <laughs> like, yeah, you know, but, you the, but the people giving the messages like that have something to gain from that they yeah, they, they get definitely. their pockets filled by, yeah. by putting that they wouldn't want it's almost like how the pharmaceutical industry is is more palliative than it is you know curative definitely you know because there's money to be absolutely i mean you know you, you know we saw this in the classes it's like it's not even about the treatment that works it's about the treatment that pays them the most this journey that we're on and like the field we're going into it, it's a field that is growing yeah a, burgeoning yeah and, absolutely. Uh, and it's you know we're just going to try and at least for me i'm going to try and like just add to the progress of this perception that, you know, mental illness and addiction or wherever, whoever the people that I'm going to work with that are struggling. Yeah. Um, they're sick. You know, they're not, they're I not. I love you comparing it to cancer yeah. or multiple sclerosis or yeah. some I mean, physical they're sick, thing. right? Yeah. You wouldn't treat someone like that. You wouldn't, yeah. like, you wouldn't slam your car door if some, someone like that was walking up like a homeless, you know, you know, it's just like the paradox, the, the societal paradox that goes on between people that are sick and that people that are bad. What type of practice do you see yourself doing in the future specifically is it is it mainly working with addicts or is it uh bigger than that i mean i think it's definitely bigger than that because you know like like we've learned it's like it's the pain right mm-hmm. the pain that causes the addiction and it was definitely my story the pain, my pain accelerated my addiction totally right so whether it's trauma or severely mentally ill i, I i'm really drawn to those you like think the most misunderstood, definitely. Most, yeah. I think they're the most misunderstood, and I think they're the most mistreated. So, I mean, like I said, I want to lend my hand out to the people that are suffering the most. I love the work you're doing, dude. I'm, I'm really glad we got to connect on this episode. I think um, people get some value out of this one. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you, man. I appreciate Absolutely. being here. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Jason. Yep. And uh, we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you so much again for tuning in to today's episode. It really means the world to me. If you heard anything relatable that created new awareness for you, please visit our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review. This helps build our audience. Please comment, like, and share this episode out with your family, friends, coworkers, or anyone who you feel would benefit from the messages shared in today's episode. I'm really, really grateful for your help in spreading these messages of hope and wisdom. 
The world is in such great need right now and your support helps carry the message onward to others who need it. Also, please consider becoming a monthly financial contributor to the podcast. You can do so by visiting connectionismagic.com and clicking on the Patreon link. Patreon is a third-party platform which helps support creators in exchange for exclusive content and offers. You'll be able to get discounted merchandise like comfy hoodies, t-shirts, as well as retreat discounts where we'll have special guest speakers and group activities to connect you with like-minded community members. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, please stay connected.